Welcome. I'm Dr. Liz, an entrepreneur, speaker, podcaster, mom, and wife. This podcast is about hypnosis, but also about all kinds of ways to help you live your fullest life, to heal, transform, to play the long game and go after the joy. You can see more about me at drlizhypnosis.com. Hop over there to get a free hypnosis file to decrease fear and anxiety or one to increase emotional stability. They're there just for you. I hope you enjoy the podcast as much as I do. Peace. Hi, everyone. Dr. Liz here. Today's interview is with Oren J. Sofer. He was actually on the podcast back in 2019, episode 110. So if you go to the website, drlizhypnosis.com forward slash episode 110, you can hear his original interview, which was around his book titled Say What You Mean, A Mindful Approach to Nonviolent Communication. It's an excellent book about how to communicate better. He's published another book now, Your Heart Was Made for This, Contemplative Practices for Meeting a World in Crisis with Courage, Integrity, and Love. And it is a wonderful book. Oren is a meditation teacher in the early Buddhist tradition and a certified trainer in nonviolent communication, as well as a somatic experiencing practitioner for the healing of trauma. He has a wonderful spirit about him, a kind heart, and a very soothing voice. You'll hear me talk some about how my weekend was before this interview. This interview was on a Monday morning. And I honestly almost canceled the interview because I had had to handle a, a medical crisis with my daughter in the very wee hours of the morning, 4 a.m. I was very tired, but I thought, no, I really want to do this interview. We had had to reschedule another time. So this was a second attempt in just doing the interview with him, I found so calming and learned even more than I learned from his beautiful book. We talk about his new book as well as some life that has happened and some of the concepts in the book applying to what's going on right now in the world. You could use his book like a workbook if you wanted to, which he references at the beginning of the interview because there are practices to do. So you could read it, do the practices, and perhaps do that with a friend that's interested in doing that with you. I've been doing that about two years now with uh, one of my friends in recovery, actually. We schedule the time every week. We pick a workbook to go through. And it's become a really wonderful process that I rely on, actually, for some wisdom in my life, some thoughtfulness, and some time to slow down, as well as some connection with a friend. So I I hope that you would have the same positive experience that I have had. Let's jump in to this wonderful interview with Oren J. Sofer. Peace. Hi, Oren. Welcome back to the Hypnotize Me podcast. Hey, Liz. Thanks for having me. Yes, absolutely. You have quite a few changes in your life since our last one. Indeed. Yes. I really wanted to jump in also to your new book. Before we get started, is it okay if you just lead us in a brief mindfulness grounding exercise 
um, when that would be appropriate for people who are driving, if they're listening to this. <laughs> I don't know if that's like antithetical or not. But, not um, at all. Not at all. <laughs> yeah. Is that yeah. okay? Absolutely. So okay, just great. invite folks to start to become aware of the weight of your body sitting or standing. If you're walking, just feel the ground beneath you. Maybe take a deep breath. And just focus on the exhalation and any softening or loosening that happens in the body as you exhale. Notice the pull of your attention to other things, to thoughts, to what's happening around you, to some projects or tasks. And see what it's like to keep bringing your attention back to the simplicity of just feeling the weight of your body on the earth. This grounding force, quite literally, that holds us to the planet. And then as you do that, see if you can notice the stability, the steadiness of what's beneath you. Again, whether you're walking, sitting on a bus, a train, in a car. There's this vast, deep, steady presence of the earth that we can tap into and just notice how that affects your breathing how it affects your heart or your mind can you just let that register inside for a moment and feel supported And then continuing to attend to whatever's happening around you, noticing if there's any shift in how you feel as you do that. Thanks for joining me. Wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So your new book, Your Heart Was Made for This. Tell me why you wrote it. <laughs> I wrote it for a few different reasons. Um, I started writing it in 2020 um, during that really difficult year we all had um, with the pandemic and then the murder of George Floyd and the kind of cultural and spiritual upheaval that brought forth a sort of moral reckoning here in the U.S., the movement for Black Lives. Uh, and, and then the wildfires out West, which was this kind of wake-up call around climate change for many of us. And so as a meditation teacher, one of the ways that I could contribute was to write about the inner resources we have and how those can be a support to not just kind of get through what was happening, but to actually make the most of it and and start to thrive inside. And so that was what started me writing the book. Um, and then as you kind of alluded to in your intro, um, my wife and I got pregnant and uh, we now have a, a healthy 13-month-old son. Mm -hmm. And the prospect of raising a child in uh, the world today with all that is changing and falling apart also really brought me face-to-face -face with a question that's been present for me really my whole adult life. Um, but what made me want to grapple with it in a deeper way, which is what is the relevance of our meditation, our contemplative practice, our self-care 
to working for a better world? And mm. are these are these two just separate things? Um, can they and do they support each other? And so I wanted to engage and grapple with those questions in a deeper way. Mm-hmm. And um, the book is is sort of my response to that, which is that the two are actually quite intricately connected and and need each other um, mm-hmm. to be uh, complete and effective. And I take uh, the reader through the development of. Um, 26 positive traits or qualities. Um, the number 26 is half of a year. So if you do two weeks to every for every chapter or quality, you uh, you have a whole year of um, learning and exploration and and strengthening the inner foundation from which we live and from which we can be more effective and visionary really in our work for uh building better communities and and changing the course of where mm-hmm. we're headed as a species and a planet. Mm-hmm. So how do you see them as related? So one way to talk about it is to talk about the risks of not having them connected and I'll start there. So okay. if we just focus on the inner life and wellness, spirituality, self-care, however you want to think about it, um, we run the risk of abdicating our responsibility as citizens and um, as moral and ethical human beings to the immense suffering that's unfolding in the world. It uh, it can have the often unintended consequence um, of just kind of reinforcing um, our need for our felt need for comfort, mm. our sense of isolation and individualism. And view the world as something else out there that um, we need to escape from to feel okay. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, what I see with many of the activists that I work with and uh, young people I meet who are working for change in the world is that if we don't have some way of nourishing the heart, uh, we burn out. Mm-hmm. We burn out. And um, we can end up working for change from a place of reactivity, from a place of anger, resentment, um, or even despair, which eats away at us inside and uh, limits the efficacy of our work. So these two, we strive for these to support each other. And that's really the role that Mm -hmm. I see is that um, service, activism, social change work, uh, which takes many, many different forms. It's not just mm-hmm. being in a protest. I, parenting can be a form of social change work, you know, serving in your community, volunteering. These are all yes. ways of expressing our love, our care, our empathy, and our vision, our values in the world. Um, so they give a vehicle for translating our inner life into action in the world. Uh, on the flip side, having some kind of relationship with our heart in our inner life, one, it renews us, it provides balance, it helps us to encounter the immense crushing pain in our world without being broken by it. Mm-hmm. So we have some resilience inside. And quite crucially, it helps us to align means with ends so that in the things that we are doing that we care about, whether it's serving on the PTA in our town or uh, getting the vote out uh, or other forms of organizing, it allows us to do that in a way 
where we are living and embodying the values we want to see in the world, mm. which I think is essential for um, for modeling that there's a different way forward for us as a species, given so much of what we're facing from climate to economic uncertainty to war, poverty, hunger. It's it's difficult times for for many uh, many of the creatures on the planet, not just the humans. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think we need to step up, and uh, yeah. and model our better side. It's creating that sense of balance, then, because it can feel overwhelming when you think about. I mean, on a larger scale, it can feel overwhelming, but then even on a a local scale, when you're volunteering or trying to make change or giving some service or parenting, like you said, absolutely can often feel overwhelming. So it's yeah. it's really balancing that. So part of that, I hear though is not going into I think you referenced it when you began speaking about this isolatory self-care mm-hmm, really mm-hmm. yeah you know it's all about me which yeah. doesn't feel balanced either if no. it just becomes all about right. the person and not the community they're living in the family they're living in the larger world they're living in yeah so really going back and forth between the two is that correct well Absolutely well said. And it's one of the themes that I explore and that kind of runs through the book is this theme of balance, because of course, there is a time and a place to turn away. There is a time and a place to shut off the news, to turn mm-hmm. our attention just to ourself or our family mm-hmm. or our community, because mm-hmm. we need nourishment, we need rest, we need joy, we need gratitude. These are some of the things yes. that I explore in the book. Um, but that the wider view is that um, those are part of a whole, you know, uh, the, the more deeply we connect with gratitude, um, the more we also open to grief for all that we've lost personally mm-hmm. and collectively. And, you know, the the deeper we connect with our joy, um, the more acutely we're able to feel sorrow and sadness. And the, the two are, co- are intimately connected. So the balance piece is, as you said, being able to move back and forth between them to have a place for both. Mm-hmm. in our hearts. And so the book is really designed to make that practical, to not just have it be an idea, but to provide a little bit of a roadmap for how to do that. Yes. Also in chapter four, which is on mindfulness, mm-hmm. um, I love how you say that it's a way to metabolize our experiences and our emotions. And I think that's what you're referencing here. It's like when we do go out in the world and we're doing service or even thinking about it and trying to make sense of it, trying to um, not let it overwhelm us sometimes, then the mindfulness of being in the present, the um, really grounding, just like we started the episode is a way to metabolize some of those experiences. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love how you put that. Thank Mm -hmm. you. Yeah. And that's a different orientation to mindfulness than a lot of what we see in the popular sphere where mindfulness is just this kind of attentional training to calm down or feel better mm-hmm. um, which not only limits its benefit but actually uh, reinforces some unhealthy negative patterns of avoiding pain and chasing after pleasure it's like if i if my mindfulness practice becomes about trying to feel good trying to feel calm it's just another drug Mm-hmm. We have we have to understand that that the calm, the peace, the stress reduction that comes from mindfulness is 
two things. One, it's a step in a larger process. It's the first step of kind of establishing a foundation and a basis to then actually embrace all of our life. Mm-hmm. And then the second point is that that calm, that ease, that peace inside, it deepens and emerges in a more um, kind of flexible and true way, not by avoiding the hurt in our hearts, but by learning to be with it, learning to understand it, as you you know brought back that word I use in the book, to metabolize it, when we discover that we have the inner strength to be with anything, to manage whatever arises, that's when there's a, a really true kind of calm and ease and peace that arises because we're, we're no longer trying to control life, but we're actually resting in um, a kind of dynamic relationship with things as they're changing. And mindfulness mm. is a key ingredient in developing the capacity to do that, to meet whatever arises, which mm-hmm. includes the hardship, the challenge, the fear, the anger, uh, the you know self-doubt, all of it. There's space mm. for all of it. With mindfulness, we don't become consumed by that stuff. We actually are able to step back from it feel it as just a natural part of being human and understand it, which allows it um, to resolve inside. Okay. So you're talking about it as a tool to gain perspective. So it's being present, um, not just simply to be present, but to gain some perspective around what's going on as well, Um, which, yeah, isn't often taught in mindfulness it's like oh you know right here you're trying to get away from the perspective and things so i think it um it did strike me as a unique viewpoint Mm -hmm. and i know in the psychology field we often talk about mindfulness in terms of of feeling what's going on so it's not Mm -hmm, necessarily mm -hmm. a tool to feel better right more of a tool to gain awareness and some perspective Uh, if something's painful yeah then yes it's painful right now right and Mm -hmm. and there are those two components that you're highlighting liz which are core to mindfulness there's the awareness piece of what's unfolding right now and that's the intimacy with experience right that's the actually Mm -hmm. feeling it from the inside um, which is different from being lost in it, crushed by it, consumed by it, overwhelmed yes. by it. Yeah. And then and then there's the perspective, then there's the balance. And the thing that's really subtle about this is that um the perspective, the balance piece isn't a disconnecting. It's it's actually what allows us to be very intimate with what we're feeling without being crushed by it, because we recognize that it's okay that it's mm-hmm. going to change, that it's natural, it's not my fault. <laughs> like all, all of this mm-hmm. understanding that's present with mindfulness mm-hmm. brings us more into, into a deeper and fuller relationship with life. Well, I think that that leads to chapter six, the wisdom chapter, <laughs> which yes. I also appreciated. What yeah. you're really talking about is that that is a struggle for people yeah. Because you're really talking about acceptance, radical acceptance, which is mm-hmm. originally a Buddhist concept. It's made its way into more of the popular culture, I would say. Yeah. But it is um, that you talk about the four noble truths of the Buddha. There's mm-hmm. suffering, 
there's cause to the suffering. Suffering can end and there's mm-hmm. a path to that end. Yeah. I think sometimes people get caught in the suffering That's and right. don't um see the path. And so the mindfulness piece comes in because it it can help someone gain perspective to the path. Right. You know, okay, this will end. There is mm-hmm. there is an end to it, <laughs> which is sometimes hard to to grasp in the moment. It can be. It really yeah, can be. Really That's the trick be. our mind plays on us is that whatever we're feeling or thinking or experiencing seems we become so transfixed, so mm-hmm. hypnotized, if I can use that word, by yes. it, that we believe it's going to last forever. And so we like to say in Buddhist practice that mindfulness is the engine of transformation. It's what mm-hmm. powers the development of wisdom. And this template that the Buddha offered of the Four Noble Truths, it's not something esoteric. It's actually um, quite a practical way of understanding the places that we suffer. It's a little bit like um, the sort of diagnosis and uh, prognosis and prescription of a doctor. It says, look, you're sick. (laughs) Here's why you're sick. (laughs) Good news, you can get better, and here's how. Yes, agreed. Right? Those are the four steps. And so it's really an invitation for when we are suffering to have a closer look. Instead of trying to blame someone, blame ourselves, run away from it, avoid it, Mm -hmm. um, or wallow in it, to step back, recognize this is okay, this is part of how I learn, part of being human, Mm -hmm. and then to investigate, to get curious, say like, where am I holding on? Where am I resisting? Where am I not understanding? What's Mm -hmm. actually keeping me hooked in here? And then to begin to to experience on a visceral level the process of being in contention with moment-to-moment reality, of actually Mm -hmm. this quality of contraction, resistance, or control inside that leads to what we call suffering. It's this quality of um, being burdened by life, of feeling... um, a sense of struggle mm-hmm. with what is, not in the sense of the kind of generative struggle for political freedom, but a kind of um, pointless <laughs> emotional and psychological struggle internally. And uh, and then the beautiful thing that happens is as we observe it with mindfulness, with perspective and intimacy, feeling it, knowing it, there comes a certain point where the heart of its own accord goes, oh, this is the way it is, and let's Mm -hmm. go. And in that letting go, we start to understand on a more profound level the causes of suffering and the the end of suffering. It's like, oh, I I can put this down. I can put this down, which doesn't mean that we give up on what we want. It doesn't mean that we don't care. It doesn't mean that we can't work for change. It means that we're not wasting our energy arguing with the truth of the moment. Yes, I love that. I love as, that. As as Byron Katie says, um, what's the mm-hmm. line? She says, when you argue with reality, um, you lose, but only 100% of the time. <laughs> yes. And I will say that sometimes that's an internal process to come mm-hmm. to that. And sometimes... It's uh, some people need to talk that out. So it's Absolutely. not all about going internally. I had a I had a very difficult weekend, and I just mm. before our interview recorded a podcast about 
um, radical acceptance. Mm-hmm. Uh, my daughter was has been put on a medication where she, I, has to watch for this medication mm. reaction of a rash that can uh-huh. be life-threatening. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And so yeah. I found myself suffering, arguing with reality. Yeah. And I did my meditation. I did my yoga. I did my exercise. I talked to a friend. I talked to my husband, you know, and then finally I um I went to a 12-step meeting and and talked it out yeah. and and went yeah. deeper and thought, oh, this is yeah. actually about trust. Do mm. I trust her doctor? Do I trust mm. my higher power? Do I trust myself that I'm making mm. a the best decision for yeah. her is her parent because ultimately um the, the right. parent can overrule the doctor ultimately <laughs> you yeah. Know? Yeah. um yeah. yeah and so once i i talked that out some it's like oh then i felt a letting go actually of like all right yeah. first of responsibility like okay yeah. i to not argue with reality i'm accepting responsibility here yes and right. then I do actually trust her doctor that he Mm -hmm. has her best intentions Mm -hmm. in mind, that he's a good doctor, that, you know, the, the risks outweigh the, I mean, the benefits outweigh the risks and that, um, that she has eyes on her. She's not living in isolation, you know, like, but the, the process for me was both internal and external being able to talk that out and find it. So, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And thank you for sharing that. I, I certainly hope that the medication works. And uh, yes, you me know, too. That, but if it doesn't, um, it's okay. Yeah. I mean, right, really, yeah. that's what I came to. It's like, well, if that right, actually happens, right. then I mean, right. Then we, we stop, stop and we readjust exactly. and we, and we take a different course. Right. And then we take exactly. a different course. That's it. So, like, yeah, that's all there yeah, really is. Yeah. But that's the plan yeah. part. Yeah. Yeah. What, what you're pointing to, I think, is, is really important, which is that, um, self-care spirituality mm-hmm. or the way i talk about it in my book contemplative practice yes. it's it's not only an individual and internal mm-hmm. thing that it is relational and it is relational with other humans it's relational with our environment with mm-hmm. nature with the planet and that all of those are are resources that we can turn towards and in the chapter on wisdom since this is what we were talking about you know i i talk about um, the two causes for the arising of uh, kind of wise perspective in Buddhist practice, and one, the, there's an internal and an external cause, and the internal cause is our own deep and careful attention, mm-hmm. what we've been exploring, this kind of really investigating and looking carefully at things, but the external cause is feedback from wise friends, yes. <laughs> is actually right getting yeah. perspective from others and talking it through, like you said, and so one of my aims, mm-hmm. right, Right. My aims in the book is to try to um, broaden the conversation from contemplative practice, mindfulness being just about meditation and just about something that we do on our own or with our eyes closed, to actually a whole array of tools that we can be creative with. Contemplative practice is, um, it's kind of like saying, there's many ways to exercise and running is just one of them in the same mm-hmm. way. There's all kinds of ways 
to strengthen our inner life. And meditation is just one of them. So we can use art, we can mm -hmm. dance, we can storytelling, we can be out in nature, we can, you know, folding the laundry can become a contemplative practice, having a cup of tea. It's about how we're engaging in the in the activity. Yes. You know, as as can spending time with friends or having uh, ex exploratory conversations and receiving empathy mm -hmm. and support. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that yeah. really struck me on the chapter on renunciation, which mm. is very clear to me. You said that you need uh, resilience, develop some resilience and mm -hmm. proper support, like line up the support first. Yeah. <laughs> which is... Which right. is so what people don't do often. They they try to go into some yeah. restriction or renunciation, whether it's healthy or unhealthy, and they don't line up the support for doing that. And you're yeah. talking about there's all kinds of ways here. And one really is support um, mm -hmm. and moving out yeah. into the world yeah. as well, not just staying internal, trying to do that right. alone. Yeah, I I share, I share, you know, as you know from reading it, you know, I share some of my own struggle with this quality of renunciation, which is a kind of intentionally provocative word that I chose for it because I'm wanting to sort of invite people to step back and and look at our relationship with craving and material comfort in a different way but i i talk about my relationship with renunciation <laughs> over the years in in quite an open way in terms of this uh digestive condition i've had since i was in my 20s and this kind of yo-yoing back and forth with food because one of the things about having a, this um uh, digestive infl inflammatory condition is there, there were a lot of foods that i couldn't eat that um were the foods i liked like you know, bread and baked goods and sugar. And um, so I would, you know, flip back and forth in um process that I'm sure many of us are familiar mm -hmm. with of like this like really rigid abstinence and not having anything and this kind of clamping down with control and then the rebellion inside and sort of losing all control and flipping over to the other side and sort of binging on sweets mm -hmm. or, or baked goods and needing to understand that there's a different way to actually let go of things that doesn't involve willpower that mm -hmm. as you're pointing to requires um support mm -hmm. um, but also understanding a sense of like a wise understanding and a sense of empowerment like i'm choosing to do this and so one of the synonyms i offer before renunciation in the book is non-addiction mm -hmm. yeah i did notice that what would it be mm -hmm. like what would it be like to think about our relationship with everything from uh, substances and material comfort to things like work or um, entertainment, TV, video games, or even things like uh, the inner critic mm -hmm. or feel not feeling worthy? You know, we get addicted to these habits of mind and renunciation is about freeing ourselves from them, not being addicted to putting ourselves down or questioning, doubting ourselves in unhealthy ways, being able to release that tendency and that capacity to release things. That's the skill we develop of renunciation. Yes. And it comes, as we were talking about before, in part from understanding what's in our best interest. Mm -hmm. 
And then it's not a struggle of will, it's actually something we want to do. As one of my first teachers used to say, when you know that fire is hot, you don't touch mm -hmm. it anymore. And so we're really learning about what's in our, what is for our highest welfare and what isn't. And then the process starts to feed itself. We sort of recognize on deeper levels, yeah, this isn't serving me. How can I put it down? And putting down those unhealthy patterns, whether they're external ones, like engaging in certain activities or internal ones, like certain habits of rumination, it requires one, having something else to do, like behavior replacement, mm -hmm. right? It requires being being able to change what I talk about in the book as change the channel. Yes. So if we're if we're beating ourselves up and you know really spinning in some negative uh, rumination, to just be able to recognize, okay, this is not helping. I just need to step out of this and focus on gratitude, on generosity, on contentment. You know, anywhere that is not so self-destructive. Yes. That's the, that's one angle, and then the complementary and supportive process is this. Um, investigation, mindfulness, renunciation is actually engaging with the pattern in a different way and starting to understand it and and develop a different relationship with it so it has less of a hold over us. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I was trying to leave a pretty destructive relationship at one point and my therapist at the time mm. compared it to a food allergy. Yeah. Oh, wow. Ah, <laughs> she uh <-huh>. said, eventually <laughs> you learn Oh, I can't have this mm -hmm. food. It makes me sick. And so you stop right. eating that food. And right. um, and that analogy really just just helped me see it in a different way. It's a very similar to what you're saying. Like this is um really mm -hmm. reframing it in terms of what is the best thing for me? What is actually healthy yeah. for me? And right. and being able to move towards that, um, towards health. And away from what's yeah. unhealthy for you in a way that yeah. feels, um, yeah. I don't know, I wouldn't call it easier. <laughs> it just it just feels different. I don't know if I even need to label it. Yeah. I mean, the word that comes to my mind, Liz, is, is sustainable. sustainable. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like I, I, I feel this myself today, um, particularly with the, the wars going on around the world and the sort of depth of the refugee crisis or hunger it's um it's exhausting mm -hmm. it's so exhausting to be human and and care yeah. and be mm -hmm. conscious and um i think that because it being alive can take such a toll on our hearts and on our energy that sometimes when we come to these uh, aspects of our own life there's just this feeling of just like i just i just can't do it i just don't have the mm -hmm. energy you know mm -hmm. it's like and so we're just so fried so going back to like support mm -hmm. and nourishment it's um you know this is why the book focuses on the positive mm -hmm. traits and the nourishing qualities of our lives I'm really looking to help people develop an inner atmosphere of wholeness and health and well-being from which to then turn towards and um, transform the difficult places or the unhealthy patterns. And, you know, doing that in a sustainable way means 
in many cases, first and foremost, just attending to our needs Mm -hmm. and to finding ways to take care of ourselves. Absolutely. And I think there's an element of self-knowledge in there too, knowing, Mm -hmm. developing some Mm self-knowledge, like knowing your own energy patterns and Mm -hmm. knowing when it feels good to go out into the world and knowing when it's time to retreat some and replenish and re-energize and and being able to um, really, you know, be aware of that, moderate that, uh, stand up for yourself around that. Mm -hmm. And having the courage to trust it. Yes, trust it as well. Right. It's like the self-knowledge piece. I've seen this in myself over the years of my own practice. It's like developing that self-knowledge takes, as you're pointing to, like time, Mm -hmm. energy, focus, um, interest, Mm -hmm. right? To really just even ask, like, well, what do I need? Like, that's radical for many of us to just ask that question. But then sometimes it's like we, we hear we hear it, we recognize it, we have the self-knowledge, and then there's that next step of, do I have the courage to do it? To, you mm-hmm. know, do I, can I really trust what I need and claim that for myself? And, and that's not always it's not, easy. It's not. I think yeah. we're recording this uh, around the holiday season um, in the U.S. It may mm-hmm. air later, but <laughs> it comes up during the holidays often for people in terms of having the courage to state what they need. Um, their boundaries. It's really talking about sometimes boundaries. Like, okay, I I've spent time with this family, and now I need some alone time or time to go home to my own family. And um, knowing those those energy patterns, even um, even on like a, a micro scale. I, I my daughter and I volunteer at a cat shelter every week, and hmm. we spend about an hour and a half, two hours sometimes. Uh, there's one day I think she wanted to go later and I said, you know, that's, that's fine. We can go later, but I want you to know that that probably means we're going to spend an hour instead of an hour and a half or two hours. She always likes to, to push me, but I'm petting a kitten. I can't stop petting the kitten. <laughs> like I, I understand the kittens are so cute, but we have to leave, you know, yeah. like we have to, mm-hmm. we have to, Oh, I, I know what it was. We had committed to, something else. And so I'm like, we can go for an hour, but mm-hmm. two hours is not going to happen today because we have to be at this other right. place. And so, yeah, you know, that's a, a very small example, but it can take some practice. It can take some self-talk. It mm-hmm. takes, it does take some self-knowledge, mm-hmm. takes knowledge mm-hmm. of the other person too, whoever you're interacting with to know, all right, this is the time for me to set some boundaries and know, yeah. um, Either I need yeah. to be somewhere else or I need to be home, you know, whatever that is that varies for people. Yeah. But yeah, it's a yeah. interactive process for sure, that courage. Yeah. 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 And it comes up all the time with parenting. Absolutely. I mean, talking about courage, it's um was a huge investigation, isn't really the right word. It's more like um undertaking. When my wife came to me a couple of years ago and said, you know, I think I want to have, have a baby, mm-hmm. it took a lot of courage to say yes, mm-hmm. you know, to um, raising a child in, in such a, an uncertain mm-hmm. world. It was a beautiful invitation for me to touch into, like, well, what am I about and what do I want? And to, you know, let go of 
my ideas about the future and what I thought it would look mm -hmm. like, and to really recognize that I want to learn. I'm here to learn. I'm here to grow. I'm here to give. And that the vulnerability of, of parenting um, was something that could be, um, yeah, an adventure and a part of my practice rather than something that gets in the way mm. of it. And so, Can you talk more uh, about that? Like, what do you mean by the vulnerability of parenting? <laughs> yeah, well, um, you know, as you so beautifully illustrated before and just sharing about your daughter, it's, you know, we care for these beings so deeply and fully uh, with the recognition that we can't control what happens mm -hmm. to them. It's not up. It's not up to us. You know, we can't control certainly the external world mm -hmm. and how it affects them, but even their internal world, you know, they, they have their own lives and their own trajectory. They're their own people. Mm -hmm. And so um, to love is, is to open ourselves to loss and to grief. The two are intimately connected and that is excruciatingly vulnerable. Yes. So, you know, I, I I went into the the task of parenting with the real clarity and open eyes on an emotional mm -hmm. level about what it what it means. Not 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 knowing the experience mm -hmm. of it because I couldn't, but understanding just from my own from my own practice, this is going to be a different order of opening the heart to to love and vulnerability and mm -hmm. loss and saying yes okay you know that's this is part of being human and i'm here to be fully human and to learn from being human yeah and then the vulnerability of the uncertainty in the world on so many levels today the uncertainty of the future and the impulse to want to you know protect our children to give them every opportunity and to have you know offer them uh, a life of safety and predictability and stability and i think that so much of what's uh, challenging and overwhelming in the world today is that those those senses of predictability and stability you know are are disintegrating and slipping away in so many institutions and on so many levels and so there's a lot of vulnerability in recognizing that and in took and takes tremendous courage to orient for me towards parenting as um you know how can i instill in my child the um the resources and the values to find that stability internally mm -hmm. and to to be a force for change and um support and connection in the world, mm -hmm. you know, kind of orienting my parenting in that way as an as an act of service, not just to my own family, but to my community to say, let's let's raise the being who who has empathy, who has vision, mm -hmm. who has hope, who has energy mm -hmm. uh, and generosity, and can then you know contribute and be part of the solution. Yes, got it. Thank you. That's a really thoughtful response to that question <laughs> yes yeah we do have all these yeah. hopes and dreams and ideas also before we come parents and and then they shift and change yeah. during our journey but right. i i think you right. highlight underneath 
that I think most of us as parents do still have those. It's like those base values that we do want to instill and we hope for and we try to live ourselves as well. Yeah. Yeah. And as you kind of allude to the, the reality of the lack of control and the letting go, even of that, right? We don't know who they will be or the choices they will make. It's like, you know, we just do the best, just do the best we can. that they'll live in. I mean, the world my children grew up in is very different than the one I did. So that's in itself is is unpredictable, like really unpredictable. And so it's, it is coming to this sense of um, centering and adjusting to that and just trying to, yeah. to do our best, but also that that sense of letting go of we can't control everything for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And trying yeah. not to, you know, get move into overwhelm, right? Like <laughs> back to radical acceptance of, all right, this is the world we're in. And then yeah. how do I move between yeah. it? you know, between inner yeah. and outer, my children, and then yeah. myself, right. and yeah. I'm finding that yeah. balance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I feel moved to maybe comment on that, um, that phrase that Tara Brock made popular, radical acceptance, mm-hmm. which um, I, I talk about in this sort of more classical Buddhist language of equanimity yes. in the book with this kind of wise perspective mm-hmm. and balance. And it's always important for me because I think it's a subtle concept that can be misunderstood to differentiate between the kind of radical acceptance of our experience as it's unfolding on a moment to moment level mm-hmm. versus um the our non-acceptance of um the conditions of the social conditions of yes. our world right being able to recognize like no I'm not I'm not accepting that you know, whatever portion of the world's population lives below the Mm -hmm. poverty line or is malnourished from hunger. Like, I accept that that's the truth in the moment in the sense that I'm coming to terms with it, but I'm still like that, that level of internal radical acceptance is actually provides a solid foundation from which to then respond and to make, take actions to change the conditions of our world. Yeah. It provides choice is how I see it. Yeah, that's a nice way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. Choice to engage. Right. Yes. And so then yeah. once we do that, we do have we can move into choice instead of just fighting against it or, you know, letting the overwhelm take over us. Like, oh, there's nothing to do here. So mm-hmm. we have some choices about how we navigate it. That's how I see it. Mm-hmm. So we are coming mm-hmm. to the end of our discussion here. Any final thoughts you'd like to leave the audience with? And then also please let them know how to find you and find the book. Sure, absolutely. Well, you know, I, I think maybe just in parting, just this one of the core messages of the book is that every day of our life, we are practicing something. We're making choices in how we live and that those choices shape both our inner life and our world. And so with some attention and some practice, we can actually shape our world inside and out. The future is not written. And we can use our experiences every day to grow more balanced, more wise, more compassionate and stronger. Yeah, I hope that folks listening feel uh, feel empowered and feel a sense of possibility 
in uh, in themselves. And if you want to learn more about um, about my work, my website is orangejsofer.com and the book Your Heart Was Made For This should be available in bookstores everywhere. Thank you so much, Oren, for your wisdom and your time here sharing that with us. Thanks, Liz. truly enjoying today's episode. Remember that you can get free hypnosis downloads over at my website, drlizhypnosis.com, D-R-L-I-Z hypnosis.com. I work all over the world doing hypnosis. So if you're interested in working with me, please schedule a free consultation over at my website and we'll see what your goals are and if I can be of service to you in helping you reach them. Finally, if you liked today's episode, please subscribe to the podcast or tell a friend. That way, more and more people learn about the power of hypnosis. All right, everyone. Have a wonderful week. Peace. This podcast is not mental health treatment, nor should it replace mental health treatment. If you need therapy or hypnotherapy, please seek treatment from a trained professional.